Well, my cousin, the eclectic monk, has done it again. He's waited till the very last minute to do his Christmas shopping, and he called me up, said, Lonnie, can you cover for me? I got to get to the grocery store and find presents for everybody. I thought about it for a minute, and I said, well, sure, cuz, why not? Kind of reminded me of the year he brought Grandma a carton of cigarettes he had picked up at the 7-Eleven on the way to Christmas dinner. That's a true story right there. Anyway, I asked him, what would you like for me to talk about? And being the smart aleck that he is, he said something about Christmas, you big knucklehead. And I said, well, okay then. I happen to have what I believe is the most important and least known Christmas story of all time. This is one that is going to change the way you watch Christmas specials. So don't go anywhere. Give me a minute to get myself together, and I'm going to share with you the story about Rudolph, the Red Reindeer special. You don't want to miss this one. I, I do find that music irritating. I don't know. I don't know why he picked that out, but anyway, I'm glad it's finally over. It's Christmas time. Christmas is two days away. Now, if you're like me, we all grew up watching the beloved Christmas specials. And when I was a kid back a long time ago, when there was only three channels on the TV, we would sit around and, and wait for the week or so before Christmas so we could enjoy them. And one of the ones that we always watched when I was a kid was Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. I mean, a beloved story about a reindeer and his nose and his buddies and Santa Claus and elves and all that stuff. But as I grew older and began looking at this thing, I began to realize there's a terrible message in this beloved Christmas special. Now, the funny thing about Rudolph is, you know, it is... Uh, the longest-running Christmas special that first aired in December of 1964. I was just a tot, but I was alive. And it was produced in Canada because the uh, TV executives were trying to save on labor costs. And so they used the voice actors from Canada to voice this thing over. And it's interesting to remember, and it's important to the story to realize that this thing was made in the middle of the Cold War. Now, for you youngsters who don't know what the Cold War was, after World War II, the Americans and the Russians pretty much hated each other, even though they had teamed up together to beat the snot out of the Germans. And so there was this war, and we had the nuclear proliferation. Everybody's going to kill everybody. And when I was a kid, we used to hide under our desk and all kind of stuff. Anyway. That's what was going on in 1964. Lyndon Johnson had been elected president, and we were escalating our conflict in Vietnam. All of those things are in the background of this story. Now, there's a lot of problems with this Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. Um, and I just want to walk you through this beloved special. And if you've ever seen it, and if you've seen it as many times as I have, you're going to realize as I talk about this, everything I say is true, but you never thought about it this way before. I think the very first thing that you've got to understand is that Rudolph was born with a birth defect. He was born with a shiny, big, bulbous red nose that 
beeped and squeaked and shined and everybody, you know, was embarrassed by it. And in fact, his parents were so ashamed of having a deformed child that they hid him from view because they were afraid of castigation, being shunned by society. Well, young Rudolph grows up hidden from everybody else. Nobody even knows he's around. But there comes a time for all the young reindeer to try out to pull Santa's sleigh someday. They call them the reindeer games, kind of like the hunger games, only with reindeer. And so they take Rudolph and his dad, Donner, you know, Donner and Blitz and the reindeers of Santa. Well, Donner wants his son to be on that team, but he knows that that nose is going to be a problem. So he covers it up with dirt. He takes some dirt, covers up the boy's nose, and then takes him off to the reindeer games to try out. That just seems like pitiful parenthood to me, being ashamed of your deformed-nosed kid so much that you're going to cover it up so nobody will know that he's got a shiny nose. Anyway, they get out there, and Rudolph is for the first time confronted with love by a little doe named Clarice, whose daughter's a buddy Blitzen's daughter. And Rudolph is so excited that he jumps for joy and he flies through the air and everybody says, woo, look at that reindeer fly. And then all of a sudden he gets excited and the covering pops off his nose. And everybody sees the big red shiny nose beeping and glowing and stuff. And they all laugh at him. And then they say, we ain't going to let him play in our reindeer games, are we, kids? He's deformed. And then Blitzen says, Clarice, you cannot spend any time with this deformed-nosed reindeer. He is an embarrassment to all of us. And they shamed poor Rudolph just for being different. And then Santa Claus comes up. And does Santa Claus say something like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Rudolph, your nose is fine. Don't worry about it, buddy. You'll grow out of that. Or does he say something like, hey, everybody, look, Rudolph may have a little bit of a different nose, but did you see how well he was flying? He's got potential. No, he didn't say anything like that. In fact, he doesn't even talk to Rudolph. He talks to Donner, Rudolph's dad. And you know what he said? You remember? He says, Donner, how could you? And what did he mean by that? Well, what he meant was, how could you come try to pawn off this deformed child onto the sleigh team? What were you thinking bringing out this re messed up kid into the arena of the reindeer games? Get him out of here. He wasn't disappointed in Donner. He was disappointed in Donner's offspring. It's plumb hurtful. Unnecessary. Certainly wasn't very politically correct. But again, it was 1964. But do you see the message? Being different is bad. The next thing that happens is we understand that Santa is mean. In this special, Santa is like a tyrant running his operation like it's a sweatshop, using this guy named Boss Elf to run around and yell at people and demean people and it make people do stuff. He's like an enforcer. And there's this one little elf named Hermie. And Hermie doesn't like making toys. Hermie wants to be a dentist. But do they look at him and say, well, we could use a dentist up here at the North Pole. 
I'm sure we need some dental work. All these hundreds of thousands of elves running around making toys all day. Somebody might have a toothache. No, they don't say that at all. Boss Elf says, quit dreaming, boy, and get back to work. All work and no play. Make them toys. Make them toys. Come on, we got to make the toys. Hermie says, I don't want to make toys. And the boss says, what do you mean? Elves make toys. That's what you were made to do. That's what we expect you to do. That's what you're supposed to do. What do you mean? You don't want to make toys. So Hermie finds out he's a misfit. In fact, they even sing the song about being misfits. That means I don't fit in. And Hermie decides to run away. You see, different is unacceptable. Failure to fulfill the expectations of the overlord is bad. And self-determination is not allowed. The collective must be served at all times by all the entities. That's the glue that holds the communal society of Santa together up at the North Pole. Well, Rudolph and Hermie both, having been publicly humiliated, run away. And they find each other. They've been rejected by the collective. And they have to either submit, they have to conform to what the society expects them to be. And endure the public humiliation and shaming because they're different. Or they have to leave and survive on their own outside the protection of the social structure. So they leave. That's really the only good part in the whole thing. They turn around and they say, we don't need this. And they head on out looking for a life of liberty apart from the North Pole Gulag where Santa Claus rules with an iron fist. Well, they're out rolling around. And they meet Yukon Cornelius. He's a prospector, and he personifies this life of liberty and self-determination that the misfits are looking for. He got no boss. He's got nobody telling him what to do. He's living life the way he wants to. Of course, he's a greedy capitalist looking for nothing but silver and gold, and he's not really welcome at the Santa cult utopia because he ain't willing to fit in. He knows some stuff, but he's... He's bad because he's just a greedy, money-grubbing, you know what. So, these three new friends, well, they head off together, searching for a life of purpose and freedom, and as they're doing that, they're attacked. They're attacked by the abominable snowman. You remember him? Looks like King Kong, big old white King Kong with a blue face, big sharp teeth. And he's just a big elemental force, right? He doesn't have much brains. He's just got a lot of brawn, and he's got an appetite for misfits. And you know what that proves? That proves that existence apart from the collective is dangerous. It's foolish to try to break away. You need to stay put. Just do what you're told. Do what you're supposed to do. Be who you're told you're supposed to be, and you'll be safe with Santa. That's the message. Rudolph the Red Reindeer. At this point in the story, if you recall, there was a commercial break. General Electric came on, told you about all the wonderful things they've made for your home. 
and how lucky you are to have them and how lucky you are to be watching this wonderful, delightful show that's teaching your children such important values like discrimination and isolation and, you know, making fun of people who look different. It was a good message. Well, the story keeps going, but I'm going to have to take a break, take a sip, and I'll come back and keep on breaking this down because we are not even halfway there yet. I'll be right back. Well, Rudolph and Hermie and Yukon were in real trouble. The abominable snowman's trying to eat them. Luckily, Yukon Cornelius was a man of action, man with some brains, and he got him out onto an ice floe, chipped away at it, and they went sailing off into the ocean in the Arctic and escaped. And they managed somehow to wind up into a place called the Island of Misfit Toys. Now, this is where it gets really kind of weird because this island is ruled by what seems to be a benevolent lion named King Moonracer who goes around collecting unwanted toys and giving them a home. That seems like a real friendly thing to do. But let's think about it just a little bit because who the sadistic toy maker is who created these misfit toys is never revealed. But somebody had to make a squirt gun that shoots jelly or a spotted elephant or a cowboy who rides an ostrich or a train with square wheels and boats that can't float, planes that can't fly, a depressed doll and a, un, a spokesman called the Charlie in the box. These are all you know, sentient beings, and they all exist outside of the utopian society at the North Pole because of their unacceptable differences. And who made them that way? Nobody wants them. They're rejected. They're undesirable. And according to this beloved children's classic, what do we do with undesirables? (laughs) Well, we force them out. We put them together in some forgotten place to fend for themselves under the watchful eye of a protector. And it's interesting that when the misfit friends arrive on the island of misfit toys, King Moonracer only allows them to stay for one night. You can only stay one night. And then and then he gives them instructions to ask Santa to come pick up the toys if he can. Well, on the outset, that seems pretty good. But it's really kind of sinister if you think about it because these three friends are moving away from the commune of Santa, not towards it. And if Santa is the primary toy creator in the region, and he is, then these toys have to be his own creations. Santa made the misfit toys. So the message going back to Santa, is a bit more nefarious than you think. What Moonracer is saying is that these toys are ready for redistribution. Remember, they've been given away once and rejected because of their deformities and their differences and their unusual characteristics. 
and they haven't been physically rehabilitated. They didn't put round wheels on the train. They didn't paint the spots on the elephant. They didn't give the cowboy a horse. No, but they have come to an emotional place where any home is better than the isolation and stigma of Misfit Toy Island. I believe these toys have been re-educated and they're ready to be redistributed one more time. You never thought about that, did you? But it's true. Well, Rudolph wakes up early and he knows his nose is a problem and he doesn't want to get Hermie and Yukon killed by that abominable snowman so he slips out of the bed that the three of them were sharing with pink curtains in the windows. There's no signaling here. And we see time slowly passing. He begins to mature and his antlers grow out and he finally realizes as he grows up that he's got to go back and confront the Santa cult. And due in part to his desire for Clarice, who, as it turns out, along with his parents, have been out searching for him. And Santa and the whole commune is really concerned because Santa needs Donner to pull the sleigh. That's what he's worried about. He's quite the utilitarian, if you know what I mean. Well, Rudolph realizes that they've been out looking. They may have been in trouble with that abominable snowman, and he heads toward their cave, assuming the worst. And he he gets there just in time to find his loved ones in peril of being eaten. But fortune smiles as Hermie and Yukon arrive as well and hatch a plan to rescue the captives. Now, this is really weird, if you think about it. Hermie stands outside the cave and makes noises like a pig. Yes, he squeals like a pig to get the snowman's attention. Now, how a pig squeal could be the most attractive sound to the snowman is hard to figure out when you think about the fact that the Arctic North is a barren wasteland and no pigs live there in the wild. The abominable snowman had never heard a pig, but they say, oh, he likes pigs. And the fact that the last time we saw Yukon and Hermie was in a pink bedroom and he's now squealing like a pig, well, that doesn't seem odd at all. (laughs) Now, it is important to realize that the movie Deliverance was not released until 1972, and this came out in 1964. Still, that reference is real hard to miss once you've noticed it. If you've ever seen Deliverance, you know what I'm talking about. So the snowman, he hears Hermie squealing like a pig. He rushes out of the cave, and Yukon knocks him out. Bang! And Hermie jumps on him and pulls his teeth out in his first recorded act of dentistry. But when that snowman awakens, he attacks again, and Yukon and the snowman plunge over the cliff. Yukon is assumed dead. When you think about it, being the capitalist of the group, he's received his due punishment for his greed and self-reliance. They don't even try to rescue him. They just, in sadness, begin to make their way back to the commune. As the group returns home, Santa is so relieved to have Donner back. The community welcomes them all. And although Rudolph is still somewhat mistrusted, he did rescue his parents and Clarice. Of course, if he had simply stayed and endured the humiliation of his deformity, they would not have been placed in that danger to begin with. So really, 
It's all Rudolph's fault, wasn't it? Well, everybody begins to settle down. And just then, Yukon arrives with the toothless snowman in tow. It seems Bumble's bounce. <laughs> they both survived the paw. Now, after the Bumble has suffered its own humiliation and abuse, I mean, think about it, it's had its teeth pulled out. He's reformed. And he becomes a member of the collective and has his own unique service to provide. He's got some value to the group. He can put the stars on the Christmas trees. Isn't that nice? He used to be terrible, and we were terrified of him. And now, because we pulled his teeth out, and we abused him and beat him and humiliated him, now he's good, and everybody likes him because he can do something that helps out everybody else. He's good like one of us. Well, then a terrible blizzard arrives, and it threatens to shut down Christmas. Now, not Christmas, not the celebration of the birth of Jesus Christ, you know, Christmas. But no, it threatens to shut down that commercial holiday that was sponsored by General Electric. And, and as Santa's worried about losing all of his revenue for the year, he's suddenly blinded by Rudolph's strange nose, and he realizes that that deformity is useful after all. And he places Rudolph on the team for at least one Christmas outing. We don't know that he was there any time but that one year. Now they take off, and Santa does go and collect the misfit toys, and he redistributes them to their unknown fate. But does he go down the chimney and put them in the stocking and put them under the tree and eat the cookies? No! He just drops them out of the sleigh with an umbrella as he's flying over some unknown town. Hope for the best, misfit. In the end, Rudolph gets the girl. Hermie gets to torture boss elf with his dental tools and all is well in the Santa cult utopia. End of story. This has been brought to you by General Electric. Maker of good things for your home. Well, what have we learned here? Well, we learned some important things, if you think about it. First thing we learned is that Santa Claus is a fascist. He's somebody who exercises authoritarian control over his social group, an isolated group. He's like a cult leader up there in the North Pole. And he motivates them purely for profit by serving his sponsors. And he appears to have no empathy for his subjects and is at best a narcissist and at worst a sociopath. Santa Claus is not good in this beloved special. And, of course, he's bossed around by his wife, and that's a whole other segment, but we ain't going to go there tonight. Something else we learned is, of course, being different is bad. Until your deformity proves to be useful to the collective, then it's good, as long as you conform to the will of the overlord and perform as expected. That's the message. And... The other message is this, self-determination is dangerous. Making your own decisions, living independently is only tolerated if you perform a function that's not readily available from within the collective and you will likely die a painful and lonely death if you don't conform. Think about it. The redemption of Rudolph offered by this story is hollow and contrived if you really think and take it all in perspective. It's a sad story. 
Rudolph is finally useful, but he's not accepted. Because he's not acceptable. Because he's different. He's got a big old ugly, shiny red nose. Now, one interesting side note is Sam the Snowman, and this is played by Burl Ives, and he was a last-minute addition to the program. Sam the Snowman is like the narrator of the story, but he doesn't give us very much commentary. He just kind of keeps the action moving. He seems to exist to, to provide us a song, Silver and Gold, that could be released for additional profits. And I used his name to draw in the initial audience. Interestingly enough, Ives was the only member of the cast to receive receive residuals for his performance, that practice being relatively new in television in 1964. So, in conclusion, we discover that Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer was a communist plot. It's designed to infiltrate the psyche of children and bring them to agreement with Marxist ideologies, such as service to the state above personal liberty and the marginalization of outsiders who fail to conform to the expected social norms of the state is the right way to be. And it's been a continual release since 1964, making it the longest-running Christmas special in television history. And it seems like it's finally doing its job, doesn't it? Well, I hope I have altered your thinking a little bit. And I hope the next time you watch this beloved children's special, you'll pick up on the subtle communist messaging of this Cold War Canadian-produced special. Hey, cuz, you did ask me at the last minute, so you get what you pay for. Anyway, until the next time he allows me to come around, you guys have a great time. I hope everybody has a Merry Christmas. Remember, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer is just a TV show. It ain't reality. Or is it? Hey, I better get out of here before I get in trouble. God bless you. And we'll talk to you next time. <laughs> See you later. So I really, really do appreciate you listening to the podcast. And I appreciate you sharing it on social media or just by word of mouth. Appreciate you following it, liking it, rating it if possible on whatever outlet that you're enjoying it on. And appreciate all the encouragement that I've gotten along the way. The nine of you still inspire me. And I really, really thank you all from the very bottom of my heart. So again, till we meet again, God bless. Thanks.